Romans chapter 6. So here we are. Uh, we, we ended 5 talking about that through righteousness we reign in life. Grace reigns through righteousness. Because we're right with God, we rule. All right? And, and it's because we believed in Jesus. We, we rule. We reign in life because we believed in Jesus. Nothing else. And then verse 6, I mean, chapter uh, 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? As soon as we learn that we are saved by faith alone, by grace are you saved through faith, not by your works of obedience or loss in disobedience, not by how you act are you saved, but by grace, through faith you're saved. Has nothing to do with your obedience or your disobedience. And then so the natural question is, oh, so we can do what we want? Oh, so we can live how we want? Oh, so we can sin? No. People today say that. Well, they were saying it 2,000 years ago. It's the natural question. Once you take away the merit system for all the, the blessing and closeness and salvation with God, once you take away earning it, now what are you left with? You're left with you believe and you receive it all. It's a gift. Oh, so we can do whatever we want? No. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? All right, all of a sudden there's a door of, you got to understand this. We died to sin. We're supposed to have died to sin. So let's talk about it. Romans 6 gives us the uh, victory in Christ. It gives us the goal. It kind of sets up this positional victory plan. Like, here's what it looks like. You have it. And then Romans 7 kind of gives us the challenge that we face in making sure it comes to pass. So technically, you've got the blessing. You've got the victory over sin. Romans 7 is, here's the struggle that you're going to deal with. And then Romans 8 is going to show us, chapter 8, we're not going to get to that tonight, but Romans chapter 8 shows us how to apply Holy Spirit and power into your life to make that change real. So Romans chapter 6 sets this up. You need to understand this. So notice what it says. And, and, and one, one scholar said this. His name is uh, Weist. You'll see some quotes from him. He said, every time the word sin is used in this chapter as a noun, if the reader will sub substitute the words sinful nature or sin nature, interpretation will be much easier. So don't just think a sin or a little sin or a sin I committed or a sin because of I omitted some obedience. Think of sin nature as you read through this and it'll make a little bit more sense understanding that we died to the sin nature. It doesn't mean we died to every single possible stumbling that we might do in, the, in this life. But it does mean that we died to the sin nature. I'll explain it further because the scripture is going to go through a lot on it. 
Verse 3, or do you not know that as many as, of, um, as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Baptized into his death is a very important uh, term or idea concerning your salvation. And it's symbolized by what happens in the water when you go under. You're buried with him. It's a symbol, but it does something to you. Baptism in water doesn't save your soul, but it certainly does solidify something in your soul. The salvation of the soul occurs when someone believes in Jesus, confesses him as Lord, instantly something changes on the inside. And then we hurry up to the water to get baptized so we never forget it. Something happens when you go into that water. It's, it's a, 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 a sig- significant moment for your soul. The symbol is that you are buried with him. Aha, and risen with him. So watch for this in this chapter. Uh, one translation says, Shall we as believers continue habitually to sustain the same relationship to the sin nature that we sustained before we were saved? Before you were saved, you were connected to this sin nature. Now that you're saved, should you stay connected to it? Sin nature uh, abides or, or lives in every human. You must be born again to disconnect from it so that sin can be dethroned. Sin nature can be dethroned. The power of sin has now been dethroned in all of us. So how shall, if we're dead, keep sinning? If we're dead to sin, how can we keep sinning? Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We could, exa- we could say it this way. Uh, when you got saved, it was like you unplugged the light. Just, just say like a, a light at your house. You unplugged the light when you got saved. You're disconnected from the sin nature. Right. Now you can plug that back in, but don't do that. Shall we plug that back in because we're under grace? No. And what happens is if you sin, uh, you, you feed the sin nature. Every time you sin, it empowers the sin nature again. And if you will habitually sin, you'll plug that thing right back in the wall. Now, all of a sudden, your sin, the sin nature looks like it's overtaking you. Truth is, it's not supposed to. It doesn't really have the power to because a lot of this has to do with your desire. If you will just desire to stay disconnected from the sin nature and stop toying with it, get one of those little plastic things and plug that in the light socket so you can't (laughs) stick it back in there. We wish it was that easy. But even though you plug that thing up with that little plastic, you can always just flick it out and put it back in, right? And sometimes we do that. We think we've, we've made some real strides in overcoming our sin nature. Got that thing plugged up. Never going to do it again. I've overcome the way I think. I've overcome this and that. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you just, you're in a place of uh, despair and you, you pluck that thing out and there you plug that thing back in. 
All I heard was a cotton ball. No, all I heard was a All I heard was a hiss. Praise the Lord. Uh, let me quote this from Colossians 2. You remember it. Uh, after, as I read it, you'll remember it. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, it's that buried, risen, and made alive. You used to be dead, now you're alive. Galatians 3 says something similar. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. As you see this idea of being buried with him, risen with him, Uh, putting him on, uh, losing yourself to him, dying to self, it refers to identification. You and I need to identify with him. And this is where really only faith people and spirit-filled people, really just Bible-knowledgeable people can do it. Because most people think, oh, well, he was Jesus. Like, you should never think that. You should never look at the whole thing and say, well, he was Jesus. No, you should say, he was Jesus and I'm supposed to be as he is. I'm supposed to be like him. He was my example. He's my pattern. He was the son of God. I'm a son of God. He had power. I had power. He had a call. I have a call. He had the spirit in. I had the spirit in. He had the spirit on. I have the spirit on. He had the word in. I have the word in. I've got to grow up into him in all things. I've got to exemplify Christ. I've got to follow him and mimic him and imitate him. He said, as my father sent me, I send you. Just as I've been given, you've been given. All this identification takes place. Uh, the moment you get saved, now you have to train yourself to walk in his steps. You have to think like him. You have to do what he did so that you can have what he had. You have to, you have to take the same steps of faith that he took so that you can learn who you are. He spent 30 years learning who he was. What do you mean he knew who he was? No, he didn't. He had to learn the law just like a good Jewish boy. He had to be, he had to understand the law and the prophets better than everybody. And in that, he knew who he was. You need to study the word of God to know who you are. You need to identify with Jesus, identify with his death. What does that mean? That means die to yourself. That means you don't have to go to the cross physically, but you have to go to the cross spiritually. You have to lay down your life. What? Yes, lay down your selfishness. Lay down your self-seeking lifestyle. Lay down all of your... Uh, everything. All of the needy parts of you, lay that down and serve him. Lay that down and pick him up. Put off the old man that's corrupt, corrupted by pride, selfishness, and then pride and more selfishness. The old man's corrupt. Your old sinner self The sin nature of you is corrupt. It's self-seeking, it's greedy, it's sinful, it's prideful. And once again, it's very prideful. Did you know that the sin nature has got a lot of pride in it? Where you bow up to stuff that didn't go your way. Okay, I'll get off pride. That's not, 
You don't see that word in here, but your sin nature is big time pride. Like what's the definition of the sin nature? Pride, self, 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 everything. That's why the New Testament tells us to consider others above self. What? Yes, it's completely the opposite of the sin nature. Verse four, buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, we should also walk in newness of life. You know, we should walk in newness of life, but will you? This isn't just having a different daily uh, activity, even though you will. This is about something totally new, a whole newness of life. Well, I just need a new start. Well, get saved, get born again, and have a whole new interior. You ever redecorated your interior? It's like a whole new place. Yes, that's what you need to be living. You need to redecorate the inside of you. Walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. It says we should walk in newness of life. Really, that should be translated, we will walk in newness of life. But I like to say should because you should. You should walk in newness of life. And you need to let, what does that mean? It means let, let this whole thing be a miracle. Let, let change in you take place. Let it, let these miracles happen in you. You know, the very day you get saved, something changes, doesn't it? And that's why within a couple of weeks you recognize, man, I'm different. I'm doing, I'm thinking different. Instantly stuff happens. Well, now you need to, to continue that journey of letting everything change. Your whole attitude changes. All, all these things you learn just changes your demeanor, changes your pursuits, changes your way of thinking. That takes quite a while. Being sanctified takes quite a while. You're justified and, and made righteous immediately, and then you're sanctified partially. We call it the, two, the two-sided sanctification. You're sanctified because you're disconnected from that wall socket. You're disconnected from the sin nature, set apart, sanctified, made holy, prepared for God the moment you get saved. But the second part of sanctification is that you grow and you allow the Lord to clean you and continue to separate you so that you're more fully functional. Like the moment you get saved that first day, you're not completely functional. Like, you know, a brand new saved person might have more zeal than you. So on fire for God. But the, you hang around her for about an hour and cuss words will be coming out here and there. Like their testimony will be, God, save me from all that blankety blank. It's like, yes, I'm happy for you. Over time, the blankety blank language disappears. So you, you have to realize you do get cleaner and more sanctified. Jesus said, you are clean through the word that I have spoken. So his word will clean you. Amen. The washing of the water by the word is what sanctifies you. So there's a process for your full sanctification. Right. Technically, though, you are disconnected from the devil and the evil and the sin nature. From eternal death, and you're connected to eternal life and all things holy and good. So that's the twofold side of it. And then eventually you're glorified. Your body gets glorified later. 
Eventually, we're translated glorified with a heavenly body that's not susceptible to sin. So the question is, will you, should, you should walk in newness of life, connect to God and triumph over self or inflate self and fall. Pride goes before the fall. You're going to have to stop inflating self and just connect to God and let him take over on the inside of you so that greater is he that's in you for sure. Uh, let's look at these two scriptures here. First Peter Two. First Peter chapter two. Verse twenty one. For to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. See there? Follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So you're going to have to stop sinning and stop being deceitful. Amen. Okay, there's a little popcorn amens, a little amen, amen. Can I get a full amen? Can I pop the bag? Let's pop the bag. Stop the sin and the deceit. You're going to have to quit lying, quit fibbing, quit trickery. No more trickery with your mouth. No more manipulating and... For advantage. Verse 23, who, Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. You're going to have to follow his steps. So when people say something bad or evil against you, you can't do it back. When somebody gets mad, at, when, when the clerk gets mad at you or a little ornery with you, what are you going to do? You're going to bless them, give them a tip. <laughs> when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Praise the Lord. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, or the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Praise the Lord. Galatians 2, go there. Galatians 2, verse 19, says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So even though you get crucified with Christ, you're alive, yet not really. It's him in you that's alive. Don't resurrect your old self to be alive. Don't be the old you. Christ lives in me. That's the life I'm living. I live by the faith of the Son of God. So it's going to take faith to live this life. Okay, so you're going to have to drop all of that personality you built for 40 years. Well, I mean, you, we build ourselves, don't we? We build our structure. This is who I want to present as myself to others. I need them to know that I'm funny and smart. Uh, whatever you think you are, let it go. Let it go and just get nice. Let it go and don't, don't be ornery. 
Let it go and don't be repugnant. Don't, don't be poignant. Okay. We don't need a thesaurus in here. All right. Look, change, change. Let the word of God change you. Decide, I'm going to let Christ live in me. And so I'm only going to be humble and nice. I'm not going to have to defend myself all the time. I'm not going to have to protect myself from how you might offend me. I'm not looking for how you, did you really speak of me properly? Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. All right, so uh, let's, let's go back to Romans and uh, read verse 6, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's referring to the fact you are no longer slave to the sin nature. You don't have to. So uh, an unsaved person trying to stop sin is very difficult. They've got to go to the 12-steps anonymous thing. They've got to really fight hard. All right? For the believer, you really don't have to fight that hard. I know that sometimes it feels the strength of sin is really on you. But really, you've been disconnected and you've overcome the sin nature. You're no longer connected to the sin nature. You're no longer slaves of sin. You're no longer plugged into the sin nature. Unplug that thing again. Stop being such a wimp about it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Six, seven, and eight is going to help us get through this so that you can find out how to really make sure you stay unplugged. Verse seven. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Well, that's easy. Think about a dead person. They're not sinning, are they? You can take, that's why you can take the meanest person in the world and if they die, they're in the casket, they're at the funeral and everybody's saying a bunch of nice stuff. <laughs> why, why are you able to say nice stuff about someone who wasn't all that nice? Because they're nice now. <laughs> they're not at my throat today. Let's talk about how wonderful they were. You forget all the bad stuff when they're not at you. <laughs> dead, dead men don't cry. Dead men don't lie. Dead men don't cheat. Dead men don't get on your nerves. Dead, dead people don't bother you whatsoever. Dead people don't get offended. Dead people don't cuss. Dead people don't steal from you. Dead people don't make you angry. Dead people don't live selfishly. Dead people don't steal from you. Dead people don't worry. Dead men don't worry. Dead men don't stress out. Dead men don't live with anxiety. So all of your stressing out, it's your old sin nature rising up to rule. He who has died to sin, sins no more. Worry is a sin, you know. How do you know that? Because God said, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. So he commanded you to not worry, to not have anxiety, to not be fearful. That's a command. If you disobey that and you get worried and, and live anxiously, you have sinned. That's right. Amen. 
And this is where you got to go spiritual on this because it's harder to judge, isn't it? Like if somebody's drinking, cussing, smoking, ah, sin, sin, sin. And if you're going to analyze on the outside, you're going to be a very, very elementary, limited, immature Christian. Because on the inside, it's a little more difficult. And that means you got to judge yourself. You know what's in there. You know how much you are worried. You're just, your sin nature is just too alive if you're still worried, stressed out. Praise the Lord. Don't worry, it's almost over. Let me quote this. First Peter 4 says, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Think of it this way. When you get sick, let's say your body's sick. You do a lot less sinning. Just knocked out. The, the, the worst sin is that now you just, everybody serve me. I can no longer serve you. Serve me. But your flesh is suffering and it's not really trying to sin. Well, let's apply that spiritually and decide, you know what? I'm not going to feed my flesh and give it what it wants. Therefore, your flesh will be suffering and you will have ceased from sin. And that's one reason why you fast. If you'll fast for three days and tell your flesh to shut up, you'll get a little power over it. Then you can eat again, but, but the next coming days and months and years, you will feel a little bit more power over your flesh because you dominated it for three days. Three days? Jesus suffered a lot longer than and worse than that. You can do it. You can do it. That's one way to make sure that you control your flesh. So that's just an example how, and in and, and those days when you fast, you really don't want to sin. I mean, the first day you do, you're mad. The first day, it, it, everybody's on your nerves the first day. But after a while you get in this place and it's like, whoa, all I can do, I don't have any strength to sin. All I can do is just focus on the Lord. All I can do, it's like, I better pray and not waste this fast. I better read my Bible. I'm, I don't want to waste this fast because this is horrible. A anybody who's happy during a fast, they're not doing it right. <laughs> uh, first, first day, first day. Second, third, fourth, fifth day, you can get happy about it because you know something's taking place, but... The only way I can make it through a fast is watch commercials of pizza and hamburgers. I'm like, I will see you again one day. I can make it because in the end of this, I have a hope. 
And Pastor Johnny's like, don't do that. I'm like, look at that. Look, I'll pause the television. Look at that cheeseburger. Oh. She's like, don't do that. That makes it hard on me. Well, it makes it good on me. I must keep my hope. Remember, I've told you hope is necessary to keep you happy. Praise the Lord. There, I gave you your menu for tonight when you leave church. Uh, okay, so let us walk in newness. Walk in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. Uh, walk would be to order your steps. Walk means order your behavior. Conduct yourself right. He who has died has been freed from sin. Give up yourself. Give up your self-opinion. Give up your self-seeking. Give up the dream. Just do it and see what happens. Give up that thing that you've held on to that's so important. It might be an offense you've held on to. Give that up. Give that up. It might be a childhood trauma. Give, just let that go. Give that up. Die to self. You don't got to carry your history around with you. You don't got to identify yourself with all the steps of tragedy and trauma that happened in your life. Don't do that. Let that go. Just die to self and say, oh man, it was all just goofed up. Now I'm moving on. Listen, everybody's got goofed up stuff in your past and just, just die to it and say, that's it. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm moving on. I can talk about it if I want to. Don't have to, but if I want to testify, I can bring it up without crying. Die to that stuff. Verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. <clears throat> you, you need to recognize that death is your enemy. And a lot of this Christian life has to do with you overcoming death. He defeated death for you. And now you who through fear of death were all your lifetime subject to bondage, he's freed you from it. That if you can learn how to walk in love, you will overcome death. If you cannot walk in love, you have not overcome death. If you can't walk in love, you're still under bondage and you still fear. He that fears has not been made perfect in love. A lot of your crazy reaction is because of fear. You're, you fear losing a relationship. You fear what people think. You fear that someone has put you down. You fear that things aren't going right. Walk in love and you'll get over that. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 11 here begins a little short list of what you must do. Number one, you must reckon. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. What does reckon mean? It means set the account balance equal. Reckon yourselves to be dead. Decide it. Just reckon it. It's like, are you going you gonna to go home tonight? I reckon so. Yeah. Am I, are you dead to sin? Yeah. Just reckon it. Are you dead to sin? Yes. Reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin. Are you dead to sin? Yes. Yeah. Reckon so. Bible says so. I reckon so. 
Accept it. Let that be the balancing factor. It's like when, when an accountant reconciles the books. What are they trying to do? Get it to zero, trying to make the sides equal. Got to reckon, reconcile. It's like there's going to be a reckoning one day. What does that mean? That means I'm going to pay you back. Make this equal. You need to reckon yourself. The truth is you're dead to sin. Now you need to believe that. You need to decide, okay, done. I reckon I'm dead to sin. Don't have to go home and sin. A lot of people have poured out a lot of liquor. Just reckon themselves dead to it. Huh? Okay, I'm dead to it. Goodbye. People have stomped on a lot of cigarettes. People have gone home and been nice to their spouse. If I'm going to pick on the flesh sins, I got to pick on the heart sins. Just, just, just reckon, okay, I'm going to be good to my spouse. I 15 years ago, I told him I was going to be good to him. 15 years ago, I made this promise. I'm, I, love, I love them so much. Just love you. I will never, ever, ever hurt you. Till death do its part, I will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and reckon that you're a Christian and you're going to go home and be nice to your spouse all the time. Just, I just reckon I'm going to get up happy. It's like, did you, did you wake up angry today? No, I just let her sleep today. <laughs> Listen, that, that's, as a faith person, you're going to have to do a lot of this, which is you read the truth and you say, all right, that's it. Okay. By the stripes, I'm healed. Okay. Reckon so. Are you healed? Yep. Guess so. So you, number one, you got to reckon yourself de uh, dead to sin and then reckon yourself alive to God. Are you alive unto God? Yes. Can you hear his voice? Yes. If you're alive unto God, you can hear his voice. Just reckon you. Can you hear God's voice? Yes. I reckon so. Are you able to walk with God and, and see God and know God and hear his voice? Yep, I reckon so. Yes. Don't walk around thinking I'm just a dud. I'm just a spiritual dud. I can't hear anything. No, no, believe the scripture. Maybe you've been thinking that for a month or 10. Go ahead and just read. Okay, now just change it. Say, okay, I reckon, I reckon I'm alive unto God. I decide that because he said I am alive. He said I'm buried and risen. I'm alive with Christ. I'm ris risen with Christ. <clears throat> this is spiritual reality. You have to believe it in order to see it. Okay, so the next part is verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. So you got to do this. So you got to reckon yourself to these truths and then do not let sin reign. That's right. So the next part is do not let sin rule you. 
Unplug that thing. Do not let it rain. Do not feed it. Do not do it. Do not, don't do a little sin. It'll feed the rest. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Think of it as an enemy that you're obeying. How many of you would like to get captured in another land and imprisoned and forced to obey them? What a terrible, terrible experience, right? Don't you have great compassion when you see that people have gone through that? Treat sin that way. What a terrible, terrible thing for a Christian especially to be a slave to sin. No way. I, I'm, I'm escaping this captor. I'm getting delivered from this. I'm calling on my Lord and I'm going to get saved from this and I'm done with this and I let go of this. <clears throat> Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So the next thing you have to do is don't present your members to sin. Like, okay, here, we're ready for duty. Like, here I am, sin. Use me. Present yourselves, present your members as instruments to God, not to sin. Show up to church. I'm ready for service. Show up to people. How can I help? Simple as that. In the world, you presented yourself to sin. I mean, you had it scheduled on the calendar. I mean, you didn't call it sin. You called it party. And you showed up like, party, have me, use me, how you wish. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't present your eyes, your hands, your mind as instruments of unrighteousness, but present it to God. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. I'm showing up for duty. When? Every, every chance I get. Every morning I wake, every church service that the doors are open, I'm, I'm presenting myself to, for God's use. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. You're not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. I've quoted this thing thousands of times for myself. You should do the same. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Sin shall not have dominion over me. I'm under grace, not the law. The law puts a, a burden on me that I can't fulfill. Grace allows me to escape it and have power over it. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Jesus went to the cross, gave me grace. I got grace and power. I got grace and power. Sin doesn't have dominion over me. I have dominion over it. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Say it a thousand times until you start feeling a little strength. You're dealing with something, maybe, maybe it's a character flaw that you really don't care to change. Say this a thousand times so you can. I know you don't want to. You're happy with the way you are. 
Say this, sin shall not have dominion over me. Sin, sin shall not have dominion over me. Just do it for the sake of the truth. Or pick something that you know is a blatant sin that you struggle with, that you want to change. This is how you do it. Say that a thousand times. Say it, say it a thousand times in one day. Say it until all of a sudden that tree starts growing and all of a sudden, man, it is a solid tree in your spirit. And you know, man, sin. Then you can do it with a smile. Sin shall not. I will not eat the seventh piece of pizza. The sixth piece is okay. Everybody knows their limits of what's right and wrong. Praise the Lord. So you see this idea here of uh, the reason is because you're not under the law. One, if you were under the law, you wouldn't have any power. Under the law, they had no power. Some of them had stronger willpower than others, but they had no real spiritual power to overcome sin. Under grace, we have power. That's one of the big differences. Of course, people get a little confused about what grace is. It doesn't mean continuing, and that's why verse 15 is right there, just right there where you need it. And he keeps doing this. Paul keeps doing this through the scriptures. Just when he's explaining the glory of being saved without works and grace without merit, boom. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. He's not saying just continue plugging into the wall of the sin nature just because you're forgiven. Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So who are you serving? That's all he's saying is, don't you know that if you're going to give yourself to sin, you're a slave? You're showing up for duty to, to sin. Or you could show up to righteousness with your obedience. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, let, or we could say, God be thanked that though you were slaves of the sin nature, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You do have to obey to stay disconnected from the sin nature. And having been set free from sin, or having been set free from the sin nature, you became slaves of righteousness. Uh, let's go ahead and just reckon ourselves. Let's just say that. Say, I, I have become a slave of righteousness. Now, most people don't like the word slave, and, and I get that. But if you think about it, even in the Old Testament, the Jews had this whole system for slavery to be appropriate, where you could serve. If you were poor, you could serve, and you would be a slave, and then you could get released after seven years. But then they also had a, a, a stipulation that... If, you, if, if the servant uh, liked the one he was working for, it was really more an employee system, but if the servant liked the one he was working for, he could stay forever. And they had to do a, a, a visible proof of that with an with a earring. <laughs> and uh, then that person could stay. It's like, I, this, this guy treats me so well. This family treats me so well. I'm going to stay an employee here forever. 
That's what you need to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, the idea of somebody telling me what to do is like, I don't know about that. But if, it, if it's a place of safety and provision and love and glory and wonder and awesome and goodness, uh, sure, I'm staying. And that's why he does have a burden. Jesus does give you a burden, but it's light. He said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. There is a yoke. You are tied to another. The human nature is not to be tied. I don't want to be tied to anybody. Nobody tell me what to do. But all of a sudden, I realize I could be a slave of righteousness. That's a good one to be tied to. See how this is? It's a willingness, though. You do have to be willing to connect to the Lord. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So, so he's writing, knowing, knowing how we are. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. I mean, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit really know who, he knows who you were, right? He knows how you are. He knows the human nature. I mean, wouldn't he? So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You know, even the best people out there, even the goodest people in their heart, even the most good sinner, they're still lawless, unrighteous, dirt on the inside. So when a sinner says, I'm a pretty good person, no, you're a lawless heathen. You're unrighteous. You're so far from God, you have no clue. So don't ever fall in that trap. That, uh, don't, don't rationalize, oh, I'm so good. I'm pretty good. I'm good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I love everybody most of the time, except when they hurt me. <laughs> Present your members as slaves. He, he's writing this to saved people. Listen, this passage is to saved people. This passage is actually to saved people. So he knows that you're still dealing with staying unplugged from the sin nature. You have to yield yourself to righteousness. Present your members as slaves of righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Remember that? Remember those days? If you never experienced those days, praise the Lord. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Just think about all that hedonism and all that stuff. It's shameful. It's supposed to be shameful. And there's no fruit to it. There's no fruit to it. You know, back in the, in the world, uh, how many of you have a lot of pictures from the worldly days? Got pictures from the worldly days? You don't even really want to look at them, do you? There's no fruit. When I got in the kingdom, when I got in the kingdom, I threw away a bunch of pictures. I threw away a bunch of videos. I, I was collecting them, like to prove that I had some fruit. There's no fruit in that. I, I really did. I felt like, you know, this is the proof that I've had a good life. And when I got saved, I'm like, ugh.
Couldn't even keep wedding pictures. Look, not, now our wedding we kept. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Even in a good moment, uh, family wedding stuff. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, we, we got our stuff. Like old family, like I remember, I remember what happened at that wedding. I, I remember that. I remember, I, I remember what we did. I remember what happened. I remember that. I remember that. Listen, this, the, the old worldly life is, is, is shameful, right? When Facebook came online, I thought, oh no, somebody's going to post stuff of me from the eighties and nineties. Most of them had mercy on me because they knew that I had gotten saved and joined the Lord. Um, Verse 21, what fruit did you have in the things that you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Wow. Wow. Now you're slaves of God. You got fruit to, ho- fruit to holiness. What's that? Well, that's that whole idea of goodness. Yeah. That God's moral character is now uh, in us. So our fruit is born and, and grows because we're infused by God. So we're having fruit unto holiness. Holiness being things consecrated. In the Old Testament, it was all outward stuff, places and things and rituals and ceremonies, all of that stuff that was to show how sacred God's things were. Like you couldn't even mix with another nationality. And so now it's all in the spirit. Now it's all morality. Now it's all the nature of God in us doesn't mix with sin. So let's have fruit unto this other thing. And that's why church is so important. It's one reason why church is so important. This is where you get to Practice and bear some fruit. Fruit unto holiness. You go out to the world. You're in the world. You're serving God by helping people. You're shining the light. That's bearing fruit unto holiness. Bearing one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Serving one another. How do you get to serve other Christians in the name of Christ? Everybody can serve their natural family. And we can all serve sinners out there by getting them saved. But how can you serve one another if you're not in church? Or if you never do anything for anybody in church? Whether you have an official title or official role or not, are you doing anything for anybody? In the name of the Lord, are you serving one another with a pure heart fervently? Are you striving together for the faith of the gospel? Or are you all by yourself striving for the faith? Striving together. See, this is fruit unto holiness. The things we do in church, I always say, this is eternal stuff here. You're bearing fruit unto, you're bearing eternal fruit here when you're together. So the way you treat one another is highly, highly judged by Jesus. Highly, highly recorded in heaven. So even though you don't get points for salvation by coming to church, you do get treasure by the way you treat each other. Who's got the most treasure in heaven? Listen, I can look around. 
I, I do this. I think about this. I'm like, oh man, they're going to have a lot. They're going to have some serious treasure. And I know, I know people. I oversee. I watch. I, I could point you out. I'm not going to do it, but I, I could point you out. I, I know who's getting the most treasure around here. It's clear. And then I'm also open enough to recognize, hey, there's some secret stuff that goes on with people praying and people serving God without being seen. Uh, they're going to blow some of us away. There are some people that never hit the stage that are going to have more treasure than me. I don't like that. <laughs> I got to do something. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Glory. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. There's a payment for sin. If, if, if you don't disconnect from it, if you don't get saved, death, eternal death is what you get. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You've got to get people out of the... Uh, devil's paw. You got to get people out of the Senate. You got to get people saved. We've got to get people because there is a penalty for sin. There's a, there's a dire penalty for sin. It's death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift. It's a gift and it gives us eternal life. And so you could also take it as a principle that sin causes death or, uh, Incipient death. Sin causes a deterioration of yourself. So treat that as an enemy. Not just as a struggle. As an enemy. Not just as something that I kind of like and I don't really and I kind of don't want to. but I Treat it as an enemy. The enemy sneaks in and causes us to get comfort from him. People just people sit there on the couch just sinning, just sin, doing nothing but thinking and sinning. Thinking themselves into a rut. Taking the devil's temptation, deciding things in their heart. You don't have to be action, you don't have to have activity to sin. Just by not taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, you could be sinning just sitting there digging yourself a hole. Building up all sorts of walls, building up all sorts of grudges, disconnecting your heart just by sitting there getting mad. Sin's gonna, and, and then what's going to happen is you'll, you'll experience some sort of death. You'll experience some deterioration and destruction in your life. You, you'll separate yourself from the Spirit of God. Even though He's there, your consciousness will be by itself. Now you've got to deal with your own self. And that's why people get so depressed and so disconnected from people, so disconnected from everything good, can't work, can't do anything good or, or f no fruitful, no fruit unto holiness because they've, they've done something. They did something. It's like, what happened? They spent some time di digressing. Sin will cause you to digress. So you got to stay out of habitual stuff and recognize you're just feeding that sin nature. You're just giving electricity to that. You're just plugging yourself right back into that sin nature. Every time you sin, you get a little closer to that wall. 
Praise the Lord. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it is a gift. And you got to think about it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. You didn't earn it and you can't lose it. Listen, you didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. And you can't lose it. You could give it back if you wanted to give it back, but you can't lose it. Like, oh, I had eternal life, but I think I lost it. No, you would know. You would know because it would be an act, action of your heart to give back your salvation where you would say, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want Jesus at all. Be careful. First time you say it, you won't mean it. First time you say it, God knows you don't mean it. Second time, he knows. He knows your heart. He knows you don't mean it. But if you keep saying it, you'll grow that belief system to where you, you with your own mouth, you give up your salvation on purpose. That's what, that's what happens to some people. It's not an accident. If your salvation is gone, it wasn't an accident. You decided it. So if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder if I still got my, you do. I wonder if I'm still set. You are. You're here. If, you're, if you care, you still got it. So that's a whole other door to go through and explain salvation, eternal security, all that. There's lots of discussion about it, both sides of the aisle. That's, that's a good way to, to think of it. That'll, that'll help at least somebody take another step and recognize, okay, I'm secure. You'll see in the Bible that the, the, writers, the writers of the Bible are one thing. The author is the Holy Spirit. The author told the writer what to write. And you'll see it's clear that there's some ways to know that you have eternal life. I write these things that you may know you have eternal life. We know we have eternal life because we love the brethren. We know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. There's some ways to know. If you confess Jesus is Lord, you have eternal life. It's when you don't and when you can't and when you refuse to confess him as Lord and Savior. That's when you don't have it. Got it? Everybody happy about the gift of God? All right, praise the Lord. So now we got a foundation of this victory in being buried and risen, in being died to sin, dead to sin, dead with Christ, crucified with him, raised up with him. It's a hard concept because it's, it's so supernatural, it's so spiritual, and it has to do with an event. So you're just going to have to do it by faith and say, okay, I reckon so. You got it? Yeah. Say, I reckon so. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.